all tears are sacred. Isn't it amazing as, an adu- as adults, we know what it's like to laugh with each other. and We know what it's like when we see crowds that get angry, excited. But when we're moved to tears, we feel uncomfortable. At the same time, it's the reminder that it's vulnerability that builds a community. It's when we let our defenses down and say, this is who I am, brother. This is who I am, sister. That we truly are ourselves and we give permission for other people to be truly themselves. What a great gift it is to be in a community where you are so vulnerable to each other because you love each other. Thank you. Thank you. Where has the month gone these last four days? Holy smokes, I haven't done this much living all summer long. Thank you. Now, now we're getting close to the end. It reminded me of a story. You know, last night when they were doing that skit, skit oh, sick. You might be responding that way in a moment. Woman said to her husband, "Said next night, tomorrow night we're having a company. Uh, I'm going to serve escargot for the appetizer. Why don't you stop and get them? Escargot? What's that? Snail. You're going to feed our friends snails? Oh, she said, as a delicacy there in France, and you, you get a little garlic and butter, and you put it over those snails, and it's called an escargot. Well, where did I get something like that? Well, she said, there's a specialty shop." She said, here's the address. I want you to stop and get two dozen escargots. So the guy gets out of work early, and he goes down to the specialty shop, and by golly, if it's not Kitty Corner, to his favorite tavern. Well, he's got about an hour. And he thought, gee, you know, I haven't stopped in and seen the boys for a while. So he stops in, and he starts to have, he has a beer. And, uh, well, one leads to another, and then a couple other guys come in, and a couple of stories go, holy smokes, it's dark outside. He realizes he's in trouble, and he drives home, and sure enough, the company's already left. He parks the car in the driveway, and he goes up to the front steps, takes out those escargot snails, and he lines them up on the sidewalk and down the steps, rings the doorbell, and his wife comes to the door, and he's going, Come on now, fellas, we're just about there. We're just about there. Here we are. We're just about there. We're just about there. I just want to just kind of check in with you. Um, oh, sick. Um, yeah. Uh, expectations, when we came on, uh, uh, we talked about uh, community, the, and I think I've, I've witnessed community grow. You grow community by praying and playing and eating together. Community is built in leisure. You don't work at community, you celebrate community. I go to a lot of workplaces right now, and I say, well, we've lost a sense of community. You can't have community if you insist on eating your sandwich in front of your computer. Okay? Wasn't it wonderful sitting with different people and lingering and and enjoying what we had to eat? Putting God first in our lives. Well, it's our Father. And we slowed down, and we said that a number of times, with and for each other. Rest for the soul, we've talked about silence and quiet and tried to build in some quiet moments. 
for the family to grow in faith. Friends, our children become what they live. And you have brought them up in a community of faith where there's joy and celebration and deep compassion. And each of these children are feeling it. They can't express it, but they can feel it. In joy, I've never seen so many happy Christians in my whole life. Tim, you are amazing, brother. I was praying that you wouldn't get hurt up here. But you emanate joy, and that's contagious. And then the quality of our conversations, I, I think that we've seen that. So here's, here was my plan when, when Pete asked me to, to come um, to speak. I am, I am a teacher, and so I try to think of how is it that things are, are interrelated, and this is what we tried to do, and I hope it made sense. First, I started talking about, oftentimes at retreats we focus on what Jesus has done, and we don't focus on who Jesus is and the amount of time that he must have spent in silence. He didn't really say a lot. You realize if you sit down and read the, New, the Mark in the New Testament, you can read Mark's gospel in an hour and 15 minutes. Um, then what we spent a great deal of time talking about contemplation, we went from Samuel, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. And then we received the news about Owen, and we gathered together as a community of wounded healers, recognizing that even the resurrected Christ, full of, full of new life, is wounded. And we are like that as well. But we are connected. I am the vine and he are the branches. And it was our branching out and touching other people that makes the world a better place. Last night we entered into conversations with our marvelous children. These marvelous people in middle school and going into to high school. Their, their souls are so tender. We need to protect them. And all of you entered in with great dignity and respect with these young people. And then tonight, we form our communities by our conversations, but then we need to move out in courage. In courage. I think in my previous life, I might have been an old rabbi. This is how the rabbis told the story of creation. In the beginning was God and the angels. And one day, God walks out and said, I'm going to create a world. And God stepped out into the darkness and said his word, and there was light, and there was darkness. And God said, oh, that is good. And the angel said, you done yet? Next day, Lord God Almighty steps out, and there's the light, and there's the darkness. And he fashions the sun and the planets and the stars into the dark of the night. And the days light up, and God looks at the planets dancing in the sky, and the stars sparkling. Oh, that is good. And the angel said, you done yet? And next day, Lord God Almighty has separated light from the darkness, separates the land from the waters, the teeming waters, the fresh waters. And looks at the, the, the land, and he sprinkles some seeds, and things begin to grow, and they begin to bloom. 
And the water is choppy with the air and the wind. And God looks at what he's created and says, whoa, is this good. And the angel said, you done yet? And the next day, Lord God Almighty steps out onto the earth and grabs the earth. And he rubs it together, the breath of life, and throws the little fish into the sea and they swim. And the birds fly. And the four-legged ones run. And the insects buzz. Guys, oh, is this good? And the angel said, you done yet? And the next day, Lord God Almighty walks out onto the dry land, and he reaches into the earth, the Adama, the clay, and fashions man and woman in God's own image and likeness. And then God blows into their nostrils, the ruah, the breath of God. And men and women, women start to dance, and God starts to sing and clap, and men and women start to dance just like Tim. And God looks down and said, you're going to be my partners. Partners, God. We're just created. That's a two-syllable word. What are partners? God says, when you sing, I'll dance, and when you dance, I'll sing. And when you work, I'll rest. And when you rest, I'll work. And sometimes we'll sing and dance and we'll work and rest together. And the rest of the day, they sang and they danced. They worked and they rested. And at the end of the day, Lord God Almighty said, you, you are very good. And the angel said, are you done yet? God said, I don't know. You'll have to ask my partner. And you and I have been called into partnership with God to bring joy and love, peace and goodness into God's world. All of us have been called. When I was 12, I became an adult. When I was 12, my mother was pregnant with my youngest daughter. I'm the oldest of six with her youngest daughter. I'm the oldest of six. And my mother's pregnancy was so difficult that they had to move her bed to our family room for the last three months of her pregnancy. That's what they did then. And from that bed, she taught me how to cook and clean and iron and sew. These are skills that I still have today. And my brother gave birth to my youngest sister and went into deep postpartum depression. Went into a coma. Instead of coming home, my mother was taken to a psychiatric unit 30 miles away. I dropped out of school in the sixth grade, and I cooked, I cleaned, I ironed, I sewed. I gave my brothers haircuts outside of my skill set. Terrible haircuts. <laughs> but you know, a sixth grade boy can't take care of a family as much as I wanted to. So my dad had to ask members of our church if they'd take us in. See, 1961, there was no foster service, foster families. He asked members of our church if they would take us in because he wanted to keep us in the same school. I often think of this. I wonder if I belong to a church today that would take in another man's children. You know, if it was a broken arm, they'd say, well, in three weeks you'll be ready. <laughs> but with postpartum depression, they had no idea. You don't think we talk about mental illness now? Can you imagine what it was in 1961? 
my father does not call my grandmother for two weeks saying that my mother was in the hospital. I can't even imagine what it was like now for my father when we'd be walking to school and he'd drive by in the car and he'd wave at us because he had to go to work and then after work he'd drive 30 miles to Marshfield, Wisconsin where he'd visit my mother for the evening and then come back home and start all over the next day. On Sundays he'd pick us up for church and after church we'd go out for breakfast. Went to a little restaurant called the Sugar Bowl where I, you could have whatever you wanted. I had pancakes and french fries. Cholesterol is no stranger to me. But one night, I'm at the house of the boy that I'm staying with, and I really don't know him that well. And he was constantly in conflicts with his father, and his father was yelling at him, so I kind of felt like I was getting yelled at. So I'm a lonely 12-year-old boy laying in my bed in this bedroom, and I'm looking up at the stars, and I prayed. Dear God, Please take care of my mom. Please, God, help my dad. Please, God, bring us back together as a family. We need each other. I'm scared. And in the dark of the night, I felt this incredible warmth. And I knew that my prayer was heard and I was loved. Later that week, I'm riding with my dad in the car, and I said, who's helping mom? And he said, uh, the psychologist. I said, well, what do you have to do to become a psychologist? You have to get a degree in psychology and an advanced degree, and then some people get degrees in medicine, and they're help, helping your mother right now. I went to college, and I majored in psychology. At 12 years of age, I was called to a life of prayer and service. All of us are called. It's in the quiet of the night. It's in the midst of the storms. It's at unexpected times when we're not prepared and God speaks. All week long we've been quoting the beloved Darby McDonald who said this, you know, if you follow Jesus, Jesus gives you three promises and never breaks his promise. One, you'll be joyful. Have you seen a lot of joy here? You betcha. Two, you won't be afraid. Have you experienced a lot of anxiety here? No fear. Three, you'll always be in trouble. And then he said, it's not two out of three. And isn't that true? Right there in the Gospels. Directly after Jesus insisted on his disciples getting aboard their boat and going on ahead on the other side, while he himself sent the crowds home, and when he had sent them away, he went up the hillside quiet, alone, to pray. And when it grew late, he was there by himself, while the boat was by now a good way from shore at the mercy of the waves, for the wind was dead against them. And in the small hours, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake, and when the disciples caught sight of him walking on the water, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and screamed with fear. But once Jesus spoke to them, it's all right. It's I, myself. Don't be afraid. Lord, is it really you, said Peter? Tell me to come out on the water. Have courage. Come on, then, replied Jesus. 
Peter stepped down from the boat, began to walk on the water, and walk, making his way for Jesus. But when he saw the fury of the wind, he panicked, and he began to sink, calling out, Lord, save me! At once, Jesus reached out his hand, caught him, and said, You have little faith. What made you lose your nerve like that? And then when they were back on board, the wind dropped. The whole crew came and knelt before Jesus, crying, You are indeed the Son of God. I've been thinking about this all week long as we've been singing, and look, isn't that an amazing picture? Isn't that an amazing picture in terms of Matthew's gospel? I think it's important for us to realize that the gospels were told as stories for about 30 to 40 years before they were written down. And I would imagine that the, gospel, the, the, the disciples were just like us on a lake like this. Uh, they, they were fishermen. They went back to their villages. They're fishing. And, and what happens after you get done fishing? You have to have a campfire. And they're sitting around the campfire, just like us, telling stories. Telling stories. Peter, what were you thinking? Andrew, his brother's a fisherman. Dad told us that when it's, when it's a storm, you don't get out of the boat. What were you thinking? We're in the middle of the lake, in the middle of the night, and a storm, and you get out of the boat. What's up with that? And can't you hear them all kind of laughing? <laughs> you know, and by this time, they recognized that there were times that Peter acted with courage, but then Peter also had to listen to the story. What were you thinking on the night in the garden when you lied to that little girl and ran away? Aren't we all like Peter? Don't we all sometimes act with courage and don't sometimes we run away? Aren't there times when we show great faith and are there not times when we're just kind of overcome by our own fear? And Jesus loves us in each of those moments. Not just at our best, but at our worst, as we talked about on our first night. Where did you get the courage? Courage comes from the French word cour, which means heart. So friends, tonight I ask you, what's the condition of your heart? Warm-hearted? Tender-hearted? We are kind of embarrassed when we wear our heart on our sleeves. When we cry with each other, we, we don't know quite exactly what to do. Do we have the ability to let other people know what's in our heart? Do you know people are hard-hearted? Do you know people are cold-hearted? Do you work with people who once, at once upon a time in the workplace, they were all in and now they're just barely there? They've lost heart. We see it, don't we? And have you ever once in a while come across people who are just heartless? Like the man in Virginia today who backed a car through a crowd of people. But what's most important is to recognize that we of our, our community are the brokenhearted. As I mentioned the first night, the goodness in this room is palpable. All of you are magnanimous. Magnanimous is a great Latin word, great souled. You really are. I've known some of you for 20 years, and it just amazes me. You, I'm, I'm so inspired by the depth of your faith. 
But as good as we all are, we know that just below the surface in this room, there is immense pain. And at different points in the week, we've touched that pain. And the rabbis were asked the question, Rabbi, Rabbi, why do you tell, tell us to put the word of God on our heart rather than in our heart? And the rabbi said, we tell you to put the word of God on your heart so that when your heart breaks, the word seeps in. Courage. Do you realize that we know from neuroscience right now that your heart gives more messages to the brain than the brain gives to the heart? Do you know that the heart is the center of our lives? It's the heart of Jesus that pumps blood out through the body to all the members. And we've experienced that these last few days. I have a brother, Jamie. He's six years younger than myself. He's quite a character. Um, our daughter was, uh, is dating a guy, and it's a, it's, a, it's a new boyfriend, and she was kind of anxious when she met the, his parents for the first time, and they were going to Milwaukee to, to his family. They were, they were going to watch a race, and she's sitting in the back seat, and his boyfriend's mother said, Nicole, I, I don't seem to know, what, what's your last name? He said, Thibodeau. The woman was quiet for a moment. She said, are you related to Jamie, my brother? Yes, that's my uncle. I went to lacrosse for two years, for just for a semester, and I only remember two guys, Jamie Thibodeau and the dog. Do you know the dog? Yeah, that's my, my, that's my dad's cousin. The two of them just had this amazing reputation. And I just, I, was, I just kind of, I was up in the Twin Cities giving another presentation, and a woman came up to me and said, are you relating to Jamie? I mean, that's the kind of guy, people seem to remember Jamie. So one night we're out at our tavern. Priscilla and I are part owners of a tavern. There's 26 different owners. That's a nonprofit. Why? Because most of the people are like ourselves. We come up to the bar and drink water. Do you realize how hard it is to run a tavern on water? But anyway. So we're there one night after some meeting, uh, and, he, and he puts his arm around me. It's about midnight. I said, come on, brother, come on home with me for a sleepover. I said, well, I have to check. Go with him, she says. I don't want to go with him. Come on, he says. So we get to his pickup truck, and we're, we're driving. It's about 10 below in January. He's listening to Great Big Sea, and we're driving down on country roads. He turns his light off. It's, it's a full moon. Look at that. Isn't it amazing? Would you turn your lights back on? We finally get out to his farm, starts putting on some music. I'm kind of sitting there and said, listen, it's time for me to go to bed. It's, uh, and he goes into his bedroom, he pulls out, and he gives me my, my dad's winter coat. My dad's been dead for 18 years. I had no idea. My dad, Here, put this on. I, I, just put it on. So I put it on, and we walk out to the barn. He pulls out his tractor, turns the tractor around, pounds on the fender. Get up here, get up here. So I get up on the tractor, and he goes about 10 feet, and it dies. Thank you, Lord. Sorry, it's flooded. We walk back to the house. I'm sitting there. He's listening to more music. I said, well, listen, I'm going to bed. No, 85% chance it starts now. Come back out. So we go back out there. Starts it up. Get back up here. So I get up on the fender, and it goes. And now we're going through the, through the pasture. And we're kind of bouncing up and down. Look at the moon, he says. And it's a full moon. 
Oh, my goodness. Look at the snow. Look at it sparkling. Here, we're going to go through the woods. Turn down, going through the woods. We're going through the woods in this with those moons coming to the branches. And then we go out into a pasture. There's this great big mound of snow drift. He pounds it. We hit the snow. The snow flies all over. I'm just kind of holding on for dear life. And then he's going, and I see the silhouette of the barn. And he pulls up, and we get in the barn. Get off the tractor. And we're walking back to the house. And he puts his arm around me and says, Brother, you need to get out of your comfort zone more often. See, that's the thing about this Jesus. That's the third part. You're going to have joy. You won't live in fear. But you're going to always be in trouble. The gospel gets us out of our comfort zone. Takes us to places that we wouldn't have chosen for ourselves. Is that not true? Haven't you found yourself at certain times and places that you would not have thought? You find people using language that you would never use and say, wait a minute. We don't talk about other people like that. Haven't you stepped into the breach with courage and said, listen, we can do better than that. There's no need to be upset. Have you been the peacemaker? Rich on the front lines all the time, children getting into all kinds of trouble, and their parents come in, and you stand there and say, we're going to get through this. Jesus says, come out into the deep water. Face your fears. Get out of the boat and trust me. Like the disciples couldn't stay up on the mountain after Jesus was transfigured, as the disciples could not stay in the upper room after they met Jesus who was resurrected, we too must leave the mountain. We too must leave the upper room. We too must go back into the streets and bring the power of the love of Jesus Christ to others. And I know about you, but every time I meet somebody who does that, I am just get my socks knocked off. The kingdom of God is so immense you can't imagine it, but when you brush up against it, it knocks your socks off. Is it not true? So I'm in graduate school in Seattle. I had uh, $40 spending money for the whole summer. It's an eight-week program. I, got, I know myself, so I got eight envelopes and put $5 in each envelope. Tuesday nights, there was dollar pictures at a place called the Gollywog. So by Wednesday, I have $2 left for the rest of the week. <laughs> I didn't have any meals on the weekends. And so I got involved in the starting of a large community, like I told you, that's Jean Vanier. And so the house opens, and I'm sitting there at the kitchen table on a Sunday morning. Everybody else had gone to Mass in the morning. I was going to go at 6 o'clock in the evening. I opened the door. And there's a woman about five foot eight, broad, hair black and stringy. She's got a napkin in her hand. It, it, it's Paul here. I said, no, Paul's at church. Would you like to come in? Please. And so she follows me into the kitchen where I was reading the sports page and had a cup of coffee. Would you like a cup of coffee? Yes, please. She talked in a halting voice. She put the napkin on the table. I said, hi, my name's Tom. 
I, I'm, I'm, I'm Mary Ann. And she began to tell me that her parents were Russian immigrants living in Montana. Her mother had a breakdown and was put into a mental institution for women. And she was born there. The family moved away, and so she grew up for the first eight years of her life in this mental institution in Montana. When they finally got out, they tried to look for members of the family, but they had all moved away because they had the, already had the, 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 the image of being immigrants. They didn't want to have a mentally ill mother. So they were put in foster care and group home situations. Her mother had died, and now she's 30, and she's living in this group home about two blocks from where we were. And she said, the people there are mean to other people, and everybody's scared because we get yelled at and we get hit if we say anything. So the people come into my room at night and we pray. And then she opened up the napkin and there's a half-cooked pancake. And she said, this is what they gave us for breakfast. It's not right. It's just not right. If they find out that I'm here, they're going to kick me out, and I don't know where I'll go. I thought maybe Paul could help me. I know worldwide theologians. I know church leaders. I know all kinds of people who are very articulate in the profession of the faith, but I'm not so sure I ever met anybody who embodied the courage of Jesus as Mary Ann. I would have to say that I'm ashamed that I've never acted with that kind of courage, where everything is on the line. Paul came home and was able to help care for her. Father John Lasuba, Father John Lasuba. Pete, sometime when you're looking for a speaker, he's down there in Rochester, Minnesota, and you would all just love him. He's about 6'6", six, six. he's an African, he's bald, he smiles all the time, and he likes to dance. He'd fit in perfectly here. <laughs> he comes to our master's program in servant leadership, and I look out of my class, and here's this tall African with a big smile on his face, and he's got a, a, a baseball cap on that says, I love walleye. <laughs> Father John was an assistant priest at St. John the Evangelist Church in Rochester, Minnesota. The deacon on his church was in our Masters of Servant Leadership, so he wanted to get his Masters in Servant Leadership, and he came to Viterbo, and he took one class a semester because that's all he could afford. And then he told me a story. He's from southern Sudan, the newest country in the world. When he was 10 years of age, the government from the north that gave us the far, Darfur came to his village, took his father and his three brothers out into the square because they were Christian, and killed them in front of him. His mother rushes out, puts her arms around me, and says, save me one. From age 12, 10 to age 12, he does his numbers and his letters under a tree in the sand in Ye, southern Sudan. They move to the capital city, Juba, goes to a missionary school, 
sees this missionary wearing a cassock. He said, where do you get clothes like that? He said, you have to go to the seminary. He said, I think I'll go to the seminary. He said, not really the best reason to become a priest, but that's what happened. And he got ordained, and then he goes out, and he starts saying mass under the trees. He has 52 different congregations. And because he's a Christian worshiping, he's considered to be an enemy of the government. There's a price on his head. After seven years, they assassinate his driver, and the people say, we've got to get you out of the country. Brought to Kenya. From Kenya, Catholic received services bring him to New Jersey. When he's in New Jersey, he meets a priest from the Monona Diocese who says, we have a number of Somalis and Sudanese coming to our diocese. Would you be willing to come? He says, yes. And he comes. And takes a class in servant leadership. Because when southern Sudan became the newest country in the world, he wanted to build a Catholic school in southern Sudan that would teach servant leadership to build a new nation built in the principles of Jesus Christ. Because all the people I've known for 60 years are civil war, dictatorship, and abuse. Goes to his parish in Rochester, and people just like yourself, with good and generous hearts, we're all in, Father. In a year, they raise a half million dollars, they build a school. Staff it. People of the parish are going back over and forth. They re are all revitalized. Why? Because this, young, this man was saying, come on, get out of the boat. The Lord Jesus is calling us. The pastor was going to retire at age 70. He's so fired up, he's going on to 75. And now because of civil war in southern Sudan, the children have left the school. And the people of the parish in Rochester, Minnesota, are raising money so that they can attend schools in Kenya so that when the Civil War ends, they can come back. And I asked Father John about his dream, and he said, this is not my dream. This is the dream of the Lord. And if it doesn't get done in my lifetime, it gets completed in eternity. And I'm going, wow, Thibodeau, you're playing way too small. My brother was right. you got to get out of your comfort zone. One last story. I have a friend of mine, and God has blessed me with some amazing individuals. Like yourself, you're just blessed with, just, you're amazing people. Really are. I mean, every time we sit down, I got stories. In fact, some of you I'll be carrying with me in stories for a long time. So be careful. <laughs> Mr. Elpers. Now, <laughs> guy's name is Mike Desmond. Mike began his teaching career in the Dina. Was hired, he was teaching middle school in a Dina. And uh, he gets engaged, and he's on his wedding, at his wedding reception, the principal of the Catholic high school in La Crosse comes up to him and says, we got an, oh, bless you, got an opening. Would you, would you consider coming working for us? He spends an hour working out his, his wife says, come on, we're, we're having a dance. This is our reception. Oh, okay, I just got a new job. He says, no, it's okay. So he goes and he teaches uh, psychology, social studies. Our daughters all had him. Coached basketball and football. Had two state championship teams, one in, bat, one in the girls and one in the boys. Just an amazing teacher and coach. And then after 25 years, kind of felt a different call, and he went to the University of Wisconsin Lacrosse, where he became a development director. And now, for the first time in his life, he's got state benefits, he's got a very good salary, and of course, in terms of being a financial, you know, raising money, he's going to parties all the time. It's a pretty, pretty sweet life. So one day, he's at church, and uh, a mutual friend of ours, who's a chaplain, is preaching, and he, sees, he walks down the aisle, and he looks right at me and says, 
what have you done recently for the poor? You know, I know he was talking to the whole congregation, but he's looking right at me. The next day, I get a call from the Boys and Girls Club saying we need an executive director, that things are really kind of a mess. Could you come and be our executive director? Why would I want to leave a state-paying job where I first, for the first time in my life, I got a pension, I got benefits, I'm going to parties? And then the words come back. What are you doing for the poor? Jesus is calling me. He says, my friend Tom here can quote scriptures. I quote movies, he says. And the movie says that he quotes more often, more often enough, one is Old God, Old God, and the second one is Bruce Almighty. And in the movie Old God, those of you who have not seen it, you can catch it on Netflix. There's God, and he's George Burns. And John Denver is Jerry, Jeremiah. And Jeremiah, the prophet, asked God, God, why do you allow for so much suffering? And God said, I don't. You do. What are you going to do about it? The Lord God Almighty blessed us with the ascension. He said, I'm out of here. I'm sending my spirit. You now go and do the work. Peter and Steve and Lynn and Betsy and Tom. He's an executive director of the Boys and Girls Club. There's a mother who has six children from three different men. They, all the kids have been taken away from mom. Two are twin boys, African-American boys out of Milwaukee. They've done nothing wrong other than being born into a household where they cannot be taken care of, and there's nobody to take care of them, so the two boys are in jail. And Jesus said, what are you going to do about this, Mike? He and his wife, Karen, at age 64, are getting licensed as foster parents. And I hear that, and I say, oh, Thibodeau, you're playing way too small. We've spent time in prayer. We've entered into contemplation. We renewed our bonds and bind ties of, that bind us together so strongly in this community. We've been in powerful conversations with each other, our children, and other people's children. And now we act with courage. Our hearts have been renewed. This camp is a great gift. And to those who much has been given, much is expected in return. Oh, good and gracious God, thank you for calling us together as brothers and sisters. Thank you for your son, Jesus, and people like Darby McDonald and our mothers and our fathers and our grandparents and all those people in our lives who have taught us about you, have brought us to the point where we know you and love you and choose to follow you even if it means going to deep water and getting out of the boat. Thank you. For we know we're not alone. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil for thine is the kingdom the power and the glory 